To really feel good, it's not enough just to do some fix of your outer appearance. For the outer beauty, you need an inner beauty. You need to be in good health, in good shape. There has to be a holistic harmony. To what extent do genetics play in our ability to live a long, healthy life? Hello again. Welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. I'm Peter Bose. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Genetics is just one of the factors that doctors at the Swiss medical spa Clinique La Prairie consider when assessing someone's state of health and potential longevity. The clinic adopts an holistic approach to well-being, balancing the impact of inherited predispositions to certain conditions, the role of epigenetics, the environment we live in, along with lifestyle factors that also have a powerful impact. Well, to explore these and other issues, I travelled to Montreux in Switzerland to meet the clinic's medical director, Dr. Adrian Heine. This episode is brought to you in association with Clinique La Prairie, the award-winning spa clinic and pioneering health and wellness destination nestled on the shores of Lake Geneva in Montreux, Switzerland. Combining preventative medicine with bespoke lifestyle and nutrition plans, Clinique La Prairie offers a holistic approach to living fuller, healthier and longer lives. Dr. Heine, welcome again to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. It's good to see you. Good to see you too, finally. Yes. Uh, last time was like... A remote conversation. Exactly. Like so many conversations that I've had with you and, yeah. and others here over the last couple of years. But it is good it's to be here. It's great to meet, yeah. Great yeah, to meet. great to be here in person. You're the medical director here. Can you just give me a little summary of what that work involves? Yeah, so as a medical director of a clinic, a clinic like Clinic La Prairie that is quite unique, it's also a little bit a unique task. I'm... Not only the, the the supervisor of the good practice of medicine and surgery, but I'm very heavily involved in the development of our longevity tools, our different programs, our nutrition, our supplements. So I'm very lucky to have this very diversified uh, activity. I'm just curious, as a doctor with, with a, a long career, involved in an organization like this. How does what you practice now, knowing what you know in terms of, of the science and the kind of interventions that are used at Clinique de la Prairie, how does that differ from how you started out? It's a long process, accumulating a lot of knowledge that I may have accumulated elsewhere. But being here, I had this privilege to being introduced in an approach that is more holistic and that is also more online, you know, with the with recent developments like genetic medicine, like uh, specific nutritional medicine. So it's really interesting. I mean, I my original training also involved classical nutrition or classical clinical medical nutrition, which helps me a lot as a, as a background. But all that was going on and has been uh, published in the last uh, 30 years is just, just amazing. Hey, you mentioned genetics. Genotypes play a big role in what you practice here and how you help people. How do you work in genetics with what most people understand to be general healthcare? It's a very good question. I could say it does not 
dramatically change the approach to uh, prevention or to lifestyle, but the genetic helps us. Uh, we look at these different profiles, so it helps us to better understand an individual constitution or constellation. And on the other side, genetics is never 100%, but it's probabilities. So it gives us hints and predispositions that are very helpful in the preventative approach of a patient or of the patient's diseases. And what are the general predispositions that you would identify? What, what are you most commonly looking out for? We have designed different profiles according to different programs. So if it's the more longevity revitalization programs, we look at preventative cardiometabolic preventative factors and factors that you know may have an influence in longevity so like osteoporosis or the eye diseases or degradation with, with, with age if we do the detox approach detox profile we look more of genetic variants or differences in in the detoxification but to summarize what is always very very interesting and helpful are cardiovascular metabolic risk factors or risk trends in genetics. And what is also extremely helpful are these oxidative protective processes or how the DNA is exposed, DNA damage is exposed or not to free radicals, to pollution, because that helps us to, to give, again, to give recommendations like a to somebody who is not well protected, it's more important that he would live in a healthy environment and not to have too much, you know, fried food that it's toxic. So it's it's quite large the interest. Yes, the scope is huge. The scope, the and scope. I think when a lot of people go to see their family doctor, they're probably used to being asked the question: Do you have any family history? If, if it's a new relationship between doctor and patient, do you have any family history of heart disease, of cancer? And that, to some extent, traditionally has helped the doctor in terms of looking after that patient. With the technology that you have at your fingertips now, essentially you can go much deeper into that question and focus on how you care for that person moving forward. Absolutely. So we, many times we confirm the family history we go deeper because we, we discover could be that somebody doesn't even know that somebody had diabetes in the family. We discover that there is a, a predisposition. That's absolutely right. Again, on the other hand, the family history remains important because even with the best genetic profile or scope, you will not cover everything. And I think a lot of people are still in the, the mindset that their family history or their genetics, and the two might be slightly different, but but that it's hugely important for them in terms of what they are susceptible to. But I think it's, and maybe you can explain this, it's fair to say that we understand now that a huge proportion of our likelihood of succumbing to certain diseases is determined by our environment and how we live our lives. So we're talking about nutrition, or exercise regimes, how much sleep we get. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's what I usually uh, also mention when I interpret these genetic DNA profiles that obviously 
never changed throughout the life. I mentioned, look, I mean, there may be a bad news that you're prone to, to diabetes if you don't pay attention to nutrition. But the good news is that more, way more than 50% depends on the lifestyle, on the environment, and on your nutrition. It's never a, a fatal fact, you know, to have a predisposition for high blood pressure or diabetes because the bigger impact always comes from the way you live, whether you keep your weight, whether you do your exercise. So you practice nutrigenomics, essentially the relationship between our nutrition, our genetics. Obviously, lifestyle comes into that. Nutrigenomics is the, is the interaction between the nutrition and the genomics. The nutrigenomics also works with the epigenetics. Epigenetics has really developed incredibly just by the medical science because uh, some chemotherapists, uh, some interventions you, you do in cancer diseases, you would first determine the epigenetics and then do adjust, adjust the treatment. Now, in the, in the lifestyle sector, there's still a lot to be developed. We, for example, we work in a partnership with um, an epigenetic uh, startup laboratory. What we look there at goes in exactly in what would be the nutrigenomics. So we would look at impacts. We call it the epigenetic impact, which basically looks at the DNA expression or how the DNA, the genes are actually translated, upregulated or downregulated. And so we look, for example, at the impact of alcohol exposure in your current life, in your past life. We look at the impact, the epigenetic impact of smoking, which can be the, you know, smoking cigarettes now in the past or some, some type of pollution. We're looking at the epigenetic impacts of the fruit and vegetable intake. And we really get interesting results that most of the time they correlate with the history that we get, but sometimes we, we have very interesting discoveries that we, we find um, an impact of smoking and somebody has never smoked but has been passively exposed to smoke because a father or the mother was smoking. So we can have a blueprint of our lives based on what we know, but the technology that's available to you now is, is allowing you to do a much deeper dive. That's essentially, I think, what you're saying. And to be able to understand, uh, as you say, what's happened to us in the past, what's happening to us now, and most crucially, of course, for the people that you see, what's potentially going to happen in the future. So let, let's start at that point. You have this blueprint, you have the technology that gives a very detailed look at a, an individual. Where do you start with someone to plan their future. Perhaps most people will come to a place like this wanting to change their lives, feeling like they're not living their, their best lives. Where do you start? We really, with our holistic and preventative approach, you know, we would we'd always, we also have the privilege that most of our clients are staying here for a while. So they can basically, they can live <laughs> in life, you know, what is a good lifestyle with a healthy, balanced diet, low in animal proteins, high in, in anti antioxidants, what is a appropriate, uh, well-adapted uh, exercise training. So we have this privilege to merge the clients in a healthy environment. We have this other privilege that we have the results 
back relatively fast. I mean, DNA and genetic is, is not is not easy, uh, not easy analysis. It takes a, a few days, but before our client leaves the, the clinic, we would have the, the full set. This really gives us the opportunity to give some sort of a specific individual plan. We would never do like, you know, 10 grams of that, 10 grams of that, but we give a, a plan, you know, go in this direction. You always have to keep simpler. If you, if you give too many recommendations, nothing will be memorized. So with this, we would then either keep in touch with, with the client and ideally see the client again after after six months, after one year, or whenever it's possible for them to, to return. You use the phrase holistic health, and holistic health is something that I, I'm hearing a lot about this week. Again, how would you describe that to me? I think a lot of people think of holistic as, as just being earthly, as being, as being natural. Is there a broader definition as you apply it to your practice here? My interpretation of holistic is just as global as possible. So n definitely not to rely on correcting cholesterol and blood sugar only with medication, but to have this approach that physical activity and nutrition is more important than, than the medication or just as it goes even further. So we, I think we, we have the, again, the, the, the advantage to, to also give this experience here in the clinic, it's that there's the mental dimension has to be considered, the well-being dimension has to be considered. It's really all together that makes you basically your, your health. That the sleep is very important, as you mentioned. It's extremely difficult to cover everything like in a, in a few days or in, even in this, some consultation, but holistic really means that you take into consideration all the different aspects of lifestyle, of health, of disease, of environment, and so on. Really what you're saying is whole body. It's yeah. considering yeah. the mind, the stomach, crucially important, microbiome, and that you don't necessarily just focus on one, on fixing one part of the body because everything, exactly. everything is connected. You mentioned sleep, I've mentioned sleep. Often asked to list the most important aspect of health for longevity, I would often put sleep at number one because I feel as if you don't get your sleep yeah. right, it affects your nutrition, it affects your uh, motivation to exercise, everything tends to suffer. What is your best advice to get a good night's sleep? I, I agree with you that uh, sleep is very, very central and crucial. Probably one of the big lifestyle diseases uh, beside obesity and lack of activity in the last 100 years because we lost, I think, almost two hours of sleep in 100 years. That's just amazing. The main message, which is not at all respected, if you look around uh, France and so, is it's just the sleep hygiene. The sleep hygiene means to get into a mood after your dinner where the lights are turned down, where at one time you, you stop being in front of the screen, definitely not go to bed with the iPad and so on. It's really this procedure that we have completely lost in the last 100 years. Does red light therapy help? There's a lot of focus on 
the circadian rhythm and the different lights that we experience during the day, blue light, red light, is that something that you believe can help us just to get into the frame of mind, if that's the right expression, to begin our nocturnal part of that circadian rhythm? Definitely, I think, you know, getting away from the, I would say, for the bright light, blue is not the best solution, I would say. So red and green is, is better than the bright light. If you think about our, no, not that very far, uh, ancestors, I mean, uh, again, a little bit more than 100 years ago, there was no electricity, so they had just a candlelight, and I mean, candlelight is, is, is a perfect solution. This type of light is very, very natural, and that's what, what, what it was before. It strikes me, just listening to you talk, that perhaps what we need in future is a, a mixture of the old and the new, a mixture of the more primitive way of living, and you talk about having a candle instead of bright lights, uh, combined with the technology and the science that we understand and progressing with today, that a mixture of the two and and not forgetting those old ways of doing mm. things, those more primitive, simple ways of doing things, could be the best way forward. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there, there are many aspects we don't have to look so sophisticately or so far. We just need to look back in time and we, we find uh, part of the solution. I'm wondering, uh, one thing that's fascinating to me being here this week is, is looking at the, the state of the longevity industry, which you are part of. Where do you see it? going in the years to come. I think there has been a surge in interest, and I think perhaps COVID is one of the reasons for that, of people understanding about their state of health and, and how that can affect them in, in terms of dealing with a virus, or certainly moving forward with their lives. Do you see things changing in terms of the way that doctors like yourself integrate and, and work with patients? There's been a tradition of seeing a doctor once a year for, for 10 minutes, uh, if you're lucky, sometimes in, in some countries. What's the way forward, as you see it? Probably even in, in general medicine, there probably ha, have been some, some influences of the pandemic. Definitely in our field, in the holistic, preventative or longevity ap approach, it helped the pandemic. The virus helped us to go a step further with the help of our scientists. So I'm talking, for example, the immunity. The immunity has a, a very central role in the defense against diseases and in the aging process. So we knew it before, now it has been known a little bit more generally. And we have been experiencing our clients who do our immune strengthening revitalization therapy that we, we have, that was more focused on longevity, but it also helped to get better through the to the COVID complications and diseases. And uh, I mean, it's quite logical. If you are less sick, then your aging process is, is slowed down. Unfortunately, even with COVID, it has been published that heavy COVID, the brain aging has been accelerated. And so it's, it's a fact. And so I think, yeah, really, we have kind of an interesting experience for us that helped us to even improve our longevity approach. I was wondering about that, whether you would change the way in which you approach aging and longevity. And it, it's sad to say that the lifespan, the average lifespan, is actually on the decline. We, we so often hear in conversations, oh, we're living longer these days. And the fact is that we're not. And that's happened in the last couple of years. So have you changed your, your attitude in terms of the most important 
aspects of, of healthcare and what you can advise people to do? I think me personally, I haven't really changed because I already had, together with my colleagues here, we had this approach, uh, you know, nutrition and anti-inflammatory aspects in nutrition are important, that the immune system is important. But I guess out in the world, you know, that uh, definitely some specialists, some internal doctors, family doctors, they may have uh, listened, you know, that, uh, wait a minute, I mean, <laughs> nutrition is really important. Uh, to have a good immune system is really important because the, the vaccines with the antibodies, they don't resolve everything, you know, in a, in a COVID virus or, or some other virus. So, so you need a strong, basic immunity. And, and that's what we are working, have always been working on since our famous uh, Dr. Nihans who found the clinic. Yes, I think there are interesting aspects that are definitely helpful for the future, for our clients in general, for the po population. Let's just spend a few moments talking about nutrition. You mentioned the, the anti-inflammatory benefits of, of, of nutrition, obviously depending on what you eat. Could you break that down for me and explain what you mean? Again, it's something that we, we often hear, that inflammation is a huge problem for, for, for many, many people. But I suspect we don't really fully understand, as, as uh, putting it on the patient side, what that means to us physically. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's clearly quite complex and all the knowledge that exists. Fortunately, we have scientists and biologists who help us also to design our supplements like the holistic health line. But in general, I mean, somebody who has, doesn't have the means, you know, to take very specific uh, supplements with just with a natural good balance of nutrition can get quite a long way, can do a lot, you know, like 90%, you know, the other 10% maybe then the supplement. So, you know, in our nutrition, we, we clearly saw that in the last 50 or more years, there were, you know, too much sugar, too much animal fat, and all this is pro-inflammatory. So it's obvious that we need to cut down on that. And then again, we come back also to something like circadian, like the sleep, but there's also a circadian rule for nutrition that uh, you know in the evening it's definitely better not to consume much or, or any animal proteins and to stay on a vegan to, to like reduce the, the neurostimulation. So a steak at 10 p.m. probably isn't a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you could say that. Yeah. And, and do you also go along with the idea, and it's certainly something that I've been practicing, that the earlier you eat in the evening, the better. And that's all foods yeah. to, to give your, your body a time to digest that food before you start the sleeping process. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it, it makes sense just from a comfort issue, but there are many studies that show, yes, definitely it's better to go uh, half-fasted to, to bed and to have a good fasting time overnight. Metabolically, it has an advantage for the sleep quality, has an advantage, has many advantages. I want to talk to you about beauty, because a focus, at least in part, a place like this, is how someone looks. And I suspect a lot of people come here with their face in mind. They want to look brighter, look more alive, look younger, which is fine if that's what you want to do. But I'm wondering, alongside the medicine, and the, the kind of practice that you're involved with. How important is the aesthetic side of, of what some people yearn for? And I'm not dismissing it, because I actually think that looking good, 
feeling good helps you be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have really a broad offer of tools available, as you know, uh, in, in aesthetic medicine, even surgery. But, but I think we come back to the holistic approach that is crucial also for the aesthetics. And it's exactly as you say, you know, to really feel good, it's not enough just to do some, some fix of your outer appearance. And, and that's exactly what we try to apply and to teach even our clients. It's, it's fine to have a fix, but what I like to say is that for the outer beauty, you need an inner beauty. You need to be in good health, in good shape, to then make it fine-tune the outside. There has to be a holistic harmony. Otherwise, it doesn't make much sense for me. So talking of you then, just a couple of personal questions here. How do you live your life based on the evidence that you have, the best way to live life with longevity in mind? Indeed, do you think about your own longevity? Do you think about the decades to come? No, I definitely think, you know, as I have passed uh, the age of 60, so it's, it's, I think it's normal, it's human to think about. I try to do my best. I'm still more than 100% active, but but I love what I'm doing. So I think it's it's part of a, of this positive, healthy stress. Huh? So I have this healthy stress. And then, you know, I should do more sports during the week time. I know, but I try to do what, what I can do. Like, for example, now I'm very fortunate that I live at 12 minutes car drive from the clinic. So now as the weather gets better, I, I take my e-bike and I'll come two or three times per week with the, with the e-bike. So, so I try to integrate, for example, the, the physical activity, you know, the amount in what I cannot do because I, I don't have the time to go to the fitness every day. So comes down to time. That word time always creeps into this conversation. How is it possible to advise someone how to make more time for the things that are really good for us? So we, we deal uh, a lot with very busy entrepreneurs who, who travel a lot. But I usually tell them if they tell me, look, I mean, I know I should do this, but I don't have time. It's like, I mean, you're a decision maker. You know, many of our clients are decision makers. So as decision maker, you have to make decisions for you. And you're the, the boss of your agenda. So you, you just schedule in twice, three times during the week. You schedule in some time for physical activity, but some time for leisure. And then the weekend, you know, this is the same, the same discussion, but in, with more availability. So that's my message that I try to give. I think it's a good message. Dr. Heine, really good to talk to you again. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Du. Thank you. Lama Podcast is a Healthspan Media production. We'll be back with another conversation very soon. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening. This podcast is for informational, educational and entertainment purposes only. We do not offer medical advice. If you have health concerns of any kind, or you are considering adopting a new diet or exercise regime, you should first consult your doctor. Your doctor.